Today's episode is brought to you by FRW Studios, a damn fine design studio as fresh and authentic as the beer you brew. FRW Studios has created killer can designs for dozens of brewers we love, including The Lost Abbey, The Hop Concept, Port Brewing, and so many other craft favorites. Creative director Julie White has happened to design the 15th anniversary Stone Brewings book, as well as over 20 books for the Brewers Association. In fact, the Brewers Association says Julie is authentic, creative, reliable, and hands down one of the best graphic designers they've worked with. So send them your brand and they'll send you back an original design that fits it or takes it to the next level, if that's what you're into. Hop on over to unitedwedrink.com slash FRW Studios to see what the buzz is about. And while you're at it, download FRW's Crash Course in Branding for tips and tricks of the trade. Everyone who downloads the PDF will automatically qualify for a chance to win a custom design for your next project. Now that's something to drink about. You make the beer taste good. FRW Studios makes it look good. The opinions and statements in this podcast do not represent those of the hosts, employers, co-workers, family, or imaginary friends. Now enjoy the show. Happy hour? More like amateur hour. Welcome to United We Drink. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast that will make you fall asleep quicker on New Year's Eve than Jenny McCarthy in Times Square. Welcome to United We Drink, right here on unitedwedrink.com, as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and wherever fine podcasts are found. My name is Mikey Revich, and I believe ugly sweaters should be involved in more holidays, and that Douglas fir would be an amazing cologne scent. I'm joined by my two co-hosts of the show. First up is a man who you should hope to never see dressed like Baby New Year's. It's Phil Palmasano. I actually dressed as that for one Halloween. It was amazing. <laughs> I think there was it, it, it was I was Baby New Year's with a giant foam cowboy hat. Just think about that one. It's it's a giant cowboy hat. It's funny. That was about it. Uh, my other co-host not only makes a better buffalo chicken dip than you and anyone you know, but also makes a killer jambalaya and some pretty decent beer. His name is Joel Codner. Who the hell is Douglas Fir? It's it's a tree. Ah. <laughs> I'm not so, much of a landscaper. So like Tommy Boy rubbing the pine trees under his armpits for deodorant. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone once again for joining us, uh, and continue to join us. Uh, tell a friend, family member, or whoever to subscribe to the show. Uh, really helps us out here. Um, before we get into talking about our main topic and our news today, gentlemen, what are we drinking? Joel, I'll start with you. I am drinking a nice tall cup of water because I'd like to keep my head clear for this one. Okay. What about you, Phil? I'm drinking the same. <laughs> it's, but is, uh, it, is it carbonated it a, and alcoholic? No, it is not carbonated, nor is it alcoholic. I had way too many of those yesterday, uh, cheering on the FAU Fighting Owls down in Boca Raton at the Boca Raton Bowl. Um, 
So yeah, I'm I'm on water today. All right. Well, I'll be the Miguel. only fun <laughs> one. I'm drinking a tall boy of half acre daisy cutter because when that becomes available in South Florida, I buy it. Sweet. Is it fresh? Uh yeah. It is a little over a month old. Sweet. Yeah. All right, so let's head into the news here. I don't think we have much to go on because this time of year is kind of slow. So, uh, Phil, why don't you take it away? <laughs> so we have two pieces of local news this week. Um, GloverLaw.net reported on December 18th, 2019, that distributors may now replace out-of-date beers. According to Section 561.423 of the Florida Statute, Wholesalers may go in and replace any out-of-code or out-of-date beers from a vendor's premises and replace them at no additional charge. My question to you guys is, what are your thoughts on this? And do you envision this actually happening and going through over and over again throughout the, 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 uh, the industry? This is, I, I think that this is a great step in the right direction for Florida, uh, but is there anything that says what, how out of code beer is determined? Like who says that it's out of code? Uh, the vendor, the distributor, the supplier? Um, typically suppliers would, for example, I know for a fact New Belgium has very strict uh, date codes, very similar to some of your large domestics um, with you know, Miller Lite, uh, Anheuser-Busch. They they actually suppliers issue the wholesalers your uh, shelf life when you submit a new item form to the supplier. So the suppliers I, get it actually, or the wholesalers get it from the suppliers. I I I get that, but I know that there are sometimes going to be points where someone might fight that and be like, no, like I I I could just see there possibly being arguments over. Uh, this and uh, it it's it doesn't look like a completely clear like clear cut and dry uh, resolution, but it is definitely a good thing, and I hope that it does lead to fresh fresher beer being on shelves. Um, I, I do see then the issue will come up as to who will be responsible for that because obviously a wholesaler is not going to be very happy about taking out of uh, code beer back to their warehouse and I could see them possibly going to the supplier and being like, hey, you want to pay for this? Uh, because we did and uh, I assume there's probably, there's there's no thing in that because that has nothing to do with the law. That's just uh, quarrels between a wholesaler and a supplier. What do you think, Joel? Well, it seems like a step in the right direction, but I understand how tricky it can be. I mean, I was just talking to a former sales rep for a certain brewery last week, and she was saying how certain accounts only want the freshest of the fresh. And it's like, well, you know, there's a supply chain and it's going to take time to get from all the way over there to you. It could be from way far out of state. And it's not like every single brewery is putting, you know, packaged beer that day onto the truck. You know, that it could sit around for a little bit and then go to the distributor and then go to the account. So it's like, 
you know, you're already on the way to out of code by the time you're you're in front of the customer. So I, I can see a lot of fighting over this. I completely understand where you're coming from with it. I think if anything, it it protects the retailer and it protects the supplier more so than it actually protects the wholesaler because the wholesaler is the one that according to the statute has to go in and pull the product and replace it. And Mike, you brought up a great topic, which is, all right, so who's funding this? Um, is this coming out of margins from the supplier, from the wholesaler? Is it a negotiated deal at the end of the quarter? We're going to you know, revisit this. I think there, there's a handful of things at, at play here. And when, when I'm researching date codes and trying to make sure, I think some of that falls back on the retailer as well when it comes to properly ordering beer and making sure that you're ordering in enough inventory where it doesn't sit on the shelf and go stale mm-hmm. at the same time. And hopefully this leads to just keeping everyone top to bottom honest and you know diligent about rotating and keeping the freshest stuff uh, available and you know because it just seems like it's like everyone's heading for one big headache they want to avoid. I, I do like that this is becoming a topic now um, because it's been something that I know the suppliers have always talked about and the retailers are always interested in it because the retailers want the freshest of the fresh. But at the same time, I now having all three tiers of the three tier system in Florida actually having this discussion, I think we're. I don't think this is the end all be all, and I think that you're going to see larger discussions spawn off of this. Um, Do- I I really like it. Can I ask Does- you a quick question, Phil? Yeah, you uh, oversee uh, other states other than just Florida, correct? Yes. Uh, in any of those states that you deal with, do they have any laws like this? Not to my knowledge. Uh, beer laws, specifically in the South, are a little weird. Um, right now, I'm covering Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. And in states outside of Florida that I represent, it really where we see the differencing uh, or the difference within the laws is really on the discounting side. And then what is... Um, legal to hand out at a bar, be it glassware or coasters, et cetera. Um, items of uh, monetary value, and I'm, I'm using air quotes with that. So to my knowledge, there's not another state in, the, in my territory existing that has something like this, which is why I think this is more of a conversation starter than mm-hmm. it is actual, like, written into... It's obviously written into stone, but um cuz it did pass but is, i i is that think how it florida just, laws are actually put on the books they're they're engraved into pieces of stone uh florida's probably a little bit more advanced um but um i'm, I'm sure there's <laughs> that's probably how they do that's probably how they do it in mississippi and utah i don't know i have no <laughs> clue <kidding>. I, <laughs> I i would have to talk to the guilds down there um or up there um, but no, I, I like it. I think it's a good conversation starter. And I think it's something that, uh, definitely caught my attention when, when you guys passed it on, on, on the Slack channel. Does anybody feel like maybe we're jumping on this a little too late as we're hitting 8,000 breweries? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I don't know. I, I think that the, the conversation could have been started earlier. And I think to a degree when you're negotiating contracts, um, if you're not looking at add a code as a line item within your contract, 
you're probably doing your brewery a disservice, in my opinion. Uh, we we could get into a lot of uh, conversations talking about contract negotiations with wholesalers. I, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Moving on, Phil. Uh, moving on. Um, so another piece of Florida <laughs> news. Uh, it looks like South Florida got their first pop-up brewery, I guess it is, or it, it, it would be... Tasting guess, room. Tasting room, pop-up brewery, pop-up tasting room, pop-up beer garden, uh, managed by a brewery. Prosperity Brewers is opening up a pop-up tasting room in Boca Raton Mall outside of the Sears location. My question to you guys are, are you intrigued by these pop-up breweries that are temporary spots for a month or two? And do you see this as a continuing trend in the state of Florida that we've seen in the Northeast really sort of catch some steam? I'd start with Joel on this one. This is actually the second one I've seen. The first one was Civil Society a while back. I want to say late 2017, early yeah. 2018. Um, they were about two blocks from our brewery uh, in this little spot uh, on Clematis Street. And not too far from where they eventually opened their West Palm Brewery. And it seemed like a great concept. I mean, I I remember saying to one of those guys, like, I bet people are going to start copying this because I thought it was really cool how you don't have to travel as far to the brewery from certain places you're coming from and could just head to the pop-up bar. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's in the middle of all these different bars and restaurants and stuff. It, it was a pretty cool concept. And uh, I know they were out there for a few months and put out a lot of beer there. And, and I, I'm honestly surprised we haven't seen more of them. I, I think the mall is an interesting choice. Um, you know, just because it seems like everything is trending away from all these big box, big, blah, big box retailers, and uh, I don't know. Like I, I used to. They're in front of a wall where Sears used to be, and that used to be where I would always go into the mall when I would go there. Um, and now that Sears is closed, they're like right next to a GameStop and a few other places. I, I almost didn't notice it until my wife pointed it out as we were on the way out of the mall a couple of weeks ago. So I hope it's a, a good spot for them and a smart move. Uh, it's, it seems like a good location, at least far, as far as, you know, letting them know their brewery is in town and not too far from the mall and, and will drive some traffic to their actual facility. Yeah, uh, I from the time that I spent in Philly, uh, stuff like this is definitely a popular thing to do up there. Uh, part of it being that the laws uh, towards breweries allows them to do stuff like this. In, in Pennsylvania, you having a, a brewery license, it allows you to pull a, a permit uh, that they call like the expo license. Uh, where you can go to a private property and you can sell your beer under your license um, as long as you're uh, asked to do so. You can pretty much run the run the whole thing. It could be a farm. It could be a uh, just a, a art gallery. Uh, it could be any number of things. And uh, pop-up beer gardens are huge within the city itself. Um, I remember our the brewery that I work for. We did some pop up events at like um, a, a farmers market, uh, like right before the holidays. Uh, it was like three days of this farmers market, and we were the only beer vendor out there. We could serve pints, uh, 
uh, for people to drink on premise. And we could also uh, sell growlers and crowlers and such to, to go. And I think stuff like that is really cool if it uh, if your state allows for you to be able to do that because there is a great option at making some money as long as your upfront cost and your overhead on things like that isn't too ridiculous. I, I The mall is kind of weird because I have a feeling like that's got to be an expensive spot, but hopefully uh, they were able to at least break even or make some money. I mean, I'm sure that they might also look at it as a marketing thing and get uh, exposure to their their brand and get people to come into their actual tap room. But um, I love the concept of the pop-up tasting room, pop-up brewery type of thing. Um, I think where where laws allow it, it's a great opportunity. Yeah, I think you stole the word specifically out of my mouth, which was exposure. Because the mall in particular, I, I, I find as an interesting, I used to work in that mall in college. And it it's busy. It's really good for exposure, but I can't imagine that it came cheap. Um, as for the brewery pop-ups, I, I like them. I'd like to see more of them. Um, I'll, I'll be curious to see if this trend continues. And I was unaware of the civil society pop-up, um, how the state will continue to look at these as they continue to progress or continue to happen. Um, but I like it. I think it's a, uh, I think it, it's a good way to think outside of the box in a very challenging time and uh, climate. Yeah. That said, we're done for the news for the year. Um, for the decade. For the decade. The decade of news is completely over as we are calling it right now on United We Drink. Um, wanted to keep it light. Nothing will ever we were... happen. Nope. Not in the next handful of days. Nothing. Nothing's allowed to happen, at least, um, according to us. So Phil has but, decreed. I know. Uh, I know we all wanted to have enough freed up time to talk about the topic tonight so wanted to jump right into it i hope there's some major development in seltzer in the next few days <laughs> i i will go hot mic live recording myself <laughs> and kick it over to mike I'll, I'll i'll give my solo take on it if that's the case phil's going to like skype call me while i'm at work and he's like i'm recording this call right now let's talk about this this seltzer news like i'm in the middle of a canning run i can't doesn't matter. Nothing can stop the traction of seltzer news. Well, uh, not even the canning line. No, well, unless uh, it's the canning line for the seltzer company and it goes down. It's a valid point. All right. So our main topic for the evening is uh, a big one, one that we have uh, been planning out for a while and we've been looking forward to doing. And it's a serious one. And it's one we've touched on in certain aspects in other main topics before uh we are going to talk about mental health here today and um as joel was saying he's trying to keep a clear mind uh with this so um let me i'm i'm gonna i want to hear a lot of what you guys have to say so um joel can you kick things off here for us i'd be happy to um, <clears throat> so first let me say that, uh, I did a little recording with the Good Beer Hunting podcast, which should be out in a couple of weeks, uh, within the release of this episode. So I apologize if I repeat myself at any point. Um, 
And Mike, Phil, and uh, I are very aware that this is not something that we can cover in less than an hour. And hopefully we'll be doing some more episodes on this. Hopefully we'll get a lot of great feedback from you guys and, you know, respond and keep the conversation going because it feels like a lot of times some of these conferences or seminars or podcasts or whatever it may be, uh, they cover the topic and then they just sort of wash their hands of it and never address it again. So uh, it's definitely one that's very important to me um, and I definitely want to keep the conversation going. So, you know, we look forward to hearing from you guys. Um, I would, at least as far as myself, say that I definitely struggle with mental health. I have for quite a long time. I think if you know me or you follow me online, you're like, yeah, that guy is probably a little fucked up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think that uh, this is a topic that we really have to talk about. And it doesn't just apply to, you know, the liquor industry, the beer industry, whatever we're in. It, it, it applies to everyone. And I think... It adds an interesting angle in the sense that we make and sell alcohol because that definitely affects your brain chemistry quite a bit and it could be for the better and it could be for the worse depending on how much and how often and all those things. Um, So that's kind of my intro for the topic. Uh, I don't really know what you guys want to say about it. I I think we can kind of go around and just say what we want to say and, and throw some stories back and forth or some advice or, or whatever it is. Phil, how how does this industry impact you mentally, uh, whether it be negatively or positively, that you can directly correlate to stuff going on in this industry? Well, I, I think the, the main thing when it comes to mental health and and then we've touched on it a little bit with overindulgence and some of the previous episodes. Um, so if you haven't listened to those, go back and check those out because they're a good preface into us really deep diving into this topic tonight. But I, I think this industry in particular and, and Joel is a hundred percent right where this doesn't correlate just in liquor or beer or wine or spirits or whatever. This is literally universal and across the board. But in our industry in particular, and this is the beverage industry in particular, I I believe that we, and not saying that other industries aren't, but we have so much pressure on us, specifically in this climate and right now, that sales need to be up here. Production needs to be up here. Um, competition is literally biting at your, at your heels and your ankles every day, trying to, trying to find that weakness and that, that, that vulnerability to sort of take you down. And it's, it's not a cutthroat industry by any means. And we're actually pretty friendly overall. I I think the camaraderie in, in this industry is unlike anything that I've ever seen, but I believe that the pressure of this industry sort of separates beverage from other industries. Um, and, and just like I'm sure if you, the listener, are in a different industry and you're like, yeah, you know, these guys don't comprehend what I do. And, and I think every industry has their quirks in this. Amplify this in beverage with we're adding liquor typically to this, and it's usually not a good cocktail in the long run. 
um, unless you can keep that sort of level-headed mental stance. And, and I'm super excited to eventually share some of my uh, suggestions and, and, and how I try to cope um, throughout or how I've tried to cope throughout these past, you know, this past decade of beer industry. The interesting thing is we we deal with things that are stressful at our jobs, uh, just like anyone else. But the the thing that's very different for us is that we have direct access to a controlled substance uh, so readily available to us. And that's something that if you're just working in an IT department, you don't necessarily you. you uh, have a boss uh, coming down your neck. Uh, you have uh, deadlines that need to be made. You can't just necessarily go into your kitchenette and your break room and grab a beer uh, and try to take the edge off. We, a lot of us, have the ability to do something like that, and that can turn into uh, something that can turn into abuse, like we talked about in. Uh, uh, responsible consumption and then that can mess with your mind that can mess with a lot of things and you can become reliant you can become even more angry because this is a downer uh uh what we have here that doesn't make you necessarily feel happy uh if you're not already in a happy situation if you're if you're down and you're drinking you're gonna be probably even more down after you have a couple beers and your mental state on what is going on might be even shittier. Uh, that thing that that upset you and pissed you off is going to probably piss you off more. And then you're going to find other things to nitpick and be pissed off about. And I've certainly been there. Um, like I myself, like dealing at, at one brewery with having to increase production when sales are actually down and being told we need to sell more, sell more, sell more. And I'm trying to give reasons for or ways how we can try to sell more and being told, no, that's not the way find other ways. And then like being able to just walk 20 steps and go to the tap room and take a five ounce of beer doesn't fucking help. It doesn't like you want to think that it does. But it does temporarily, and I think that that's, and, and sometimes that is the start of some of this, yeah. um, where where we all utilize it as a crutch. Yeah, that's for, for sure. Um, and, I, I mean, then you go home, and then you, you open up a can or a bottle more, and it just, I, I've dealt with that myself and it's not a fun situation to be in, especially if maybe you're going through some stuff in your own personal life, all compounded together. Um, it can lead to some very depressing nights, uh, at your house, uh, or wherever you're at. And I've been there. It's not fun. Uh, I didn't like it. Luckily I was able to find ways to better, my mental state in my life and get to be slightly better. Um, I'm not perfect. I still have days where shit sucks and I hate it. And I wish there were better ways of go of, of, of living my life, but it's, uh, it's still a struggle. Um, yeah, 
uh, Joel, do you you feel that way, or or what? I don't. I I, no, I honestly I, don't I, know how to uh, transfer off of that one. Of yeah, you guys. it's a tough top tough topic to find segues. Um, no, I I agree with a lot of that, and I think that being in an industry that we love so much, it makes it that much harder when things go wrong and get disappointing. You know, if I were to have a rough day at the cubicle, I, you know, it was tough and it hurt and it sucked, you know, to, to be feeling like you're trapped there. But at the same time, I didn't really take it home with me that much, at least not the work part of it. You know, yeah, I'd, I'd be at home upset, like, ah, this job sucks and I don't like it. And I don't want to go back tomorrow, but, um, it, it's. I think it's harder when it's a job you do want to go back to tomorrow, and you're struggling with certain things. Um, it, it it makes those letdowns that much harder, and I'm you know dealing with various things right now that uh, I I don't really want to get into too much on the podcast, but I'd be happy to talk to people personally about. But one thing I said on the Good Beer Hunting podcast that I'm happy to repeat is that when you have a broken bone or you get cut or you're sick you know what to do you know who to call you know where to go uh when it comes to mental health uh it's a lot harder to deal with because it's in your own head and sometimes you feel like there is no one to go to there is no one to call even if there is um you know shit can get dark sometimes and and you really don't know the way out and that isolation, you know, that, that isolating feeling makes it that much harder. And, you know, there are many different times where I've just been like, I don't know who to trust. I don't know who to call. I don't think anyone wants to hear this shit, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm really glad we're talking about this. I'm really glad the industry is talking about it, even if it's not that often, because it, so many people, there, there's a stigma to it, you know, like people don't want to, get into it and talk about it and open up about it because they don't want to be looked at differently or possibly jeopardize their own relationships or career. So, you know, once again, it just ties into that isolating feeling. Like you just, you don't know what to do and how to solve it. And I think like just talking about it and letting people know they're not alone, just hearing those words are so fucking huge. Like that can really save somebody just letting them know. And especially now, like in the holidays, people get down, there's seasonal affective disorder. There's just, you know, the the stress of dealing with gifts and family and traveling and all the crazy shit that goes along with the holidays is as bright and cheerful as it is. it, It can be a downer as well for some people. So it's, it's kind of good timing on this topic for us, but, uh, it's it's definitely a twenty four seven thing for a lot of people, and and the end of the year not only culminates with holidays, whichever one or any that you actually celebrate, but the end of the year when it comes to usually sales and um, and barrelage productions and taxes and all of these other things that are adding into it professionally, um, I I know myself in particular. I found myself talking to. Um, one of my mentors within the past two, three weeks, just, you know, I, I definitely am feeling the pressure of the end of the year and then the pressure of personal life and wanting to make sure that I get ahead of it, I think more so than anything else and stay ahead of it where it doesn't, um, 
just sort of bubble up and boil over for me in particular. And, and this is a one-off situation. I deal with things completely differently than the way that the two of you deal with things. Yeah. Uh, and I, if I could get a, a head of certain things, I, I know that I would probably be in a better position mentally when it comes to uh, a lot of stuff. So, but sometimes that is hard. And like you said, that's a, a thing that individuals will deal with better from uh, point to point. Uh, Joel said something that resonated with me and that is the the kind of the, the fear that you're you're alone in this whole thing and and uh, like, uh, probably one of the biggest things that I myself have struggled with in this is feeling like I'm not good enough to like, if I don't have this job, then what do I have? Uh, that I just don't have options out there, which I know, I know truly is a bunch of bullshit, but it still creeps up. And, and I'm like, when I was going through the stuff recently, uh, I, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say there was a little freak out moment to where I was like, what the fuck am I going to do now? Who the fuck wants me? Like, like I like no one, no one's hiring for people like me. Uh, and I know that that's utter crap and I can, I got over it eventually, but you know, thoughts like that pop up in my head and they'll hold on for a little bit. And it gets me, gets me depressed. It gets me thinking like, well, that that's it. That's my time in uh, this industry. Time to go back to fucking it. Or get a a design job working for some medical company designing shit that I don't fucking like, uh, and I know that that's crap. I know it, but it doesn't make it any easier to get past thinking about that. And um, yeah, that that's that's definitely my biggest issue mentally uh, with probably my life and definitely with this industry is just the fear that I am not good enough for to to and I should be I should be happy for what I have and I am but like yeah it's that's my tough thing and I know what you're saying because I I deal with similar things and I also have sort of an imposter syndrome where someone will come up to me and compliment me and like like somebody the other day told me, you know, they, they moved here from Kansas City and they tried my Saison and they said it reminded them of Tank 7. And I was like, oh, fuck yourself. Like, that's it's not even remotely close. But, you know, it's a nice compliment and everything. But, you know, you just you don't want to believe them. You know, it's it's a I don't know if it's like a self-esteem thing or, or whatever it is. But uh, sometimes for me, it's really hard to accept a, a compliment. It's kind of goes into a, a self-worth thing. And like one time a, a lady, a very old lady from Germany told me that my half reminded her of home. And I was like, well, that's wonderful. And you're crazy. Like it, to me, it was like, I wouldn't accept it. Like I, it, to me, I thought she was insane. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's hard to accept those things. Even when you win an award, you're like, really me? Why me? Like there's so many others so much better. And it, I completely understand where you're coming from with that. But do you... Do you feel that you personally uh, utilize some of the sort of push some of those compliments off so that it helps drive you um, and and not get complacent with where you are? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, I don't think I 
necessarily do it on purpose and I've sort of been guided to not necessarily accept those compliments, but just, you know, kind of be in the moment and say thank you and, and not brush it off as much. And like, to, to be perfectly honest, I, even if in my mind I'm still rejecting it, I, I, I don't think I'll ever be complacent because I've never forgotten the feeling of being in a cubicle under fluorescent lighting all day long, surrounded by people I can't relate to in a job I hate. I mean, I used to literally sit there and fantasize about my own funeral. Like I had no idea where I was going, what I was doing. I felt totally trapped. So uh, that's sort of my driving force. You know, I, I, I've never forgotten it. And you'll see some people online, like whenever I'm having fun or I'm, I'm doing something beer related that I'm really enjoying and, and telling people about, sometimes the people that have been following me for a really long time are like, oh, I miss old angry Joel. Like, I, you know, I, I want to hear him vent about work and, and, you know, say all those crazy things he used to say. And I was like, I don't fucking miss that guy at all. Like that, you know, he's, he's no. still there. He's still there a little bit, but you know, I'm not here for your entertainment. Like I, I may say some crazy shit online, but like I'm not trying to be in that mindset at all. Like I, you and I, Joel, definitely have had this conversation before, but I might as well just kind of touch on it a bit uh, here is I feel like sometimes people look at you or other people who have this online persona uh, using the air quotes thing of being a curmudgeon or a, a negative person and see it as like this funny thing and then try to encompass that themselves and be like, it's cool to be negative. Uh, it's cool to be mad all the time. It's fucking not. It's exhausting to be mad. It's exhausting to be negative. Like, I don't like it. Uh, and and I get that way way too often. I, I try to find a way to be more positive about myself. And sometimes I do fall back into negativity. Um, and it's not like a, a comfortable fallback. It's, it's fucking annoying to myself that I can be negative like that. And no one should want to be, uh, negative like any of that, like, because it's, it's why we have so many problems sometimes is because of negative people. Um, if we could all be a little more positive, uh, we would all probably get along, uh, a lot easier, um, in this world. But yeah, I, I, I hate, I, I see you deal with that on Twitter from time to time. And it's, it's sad to see as, as a, a personal friend of yours that people want you to be this negative, funny guy. Like the, uh, what do they call it? Like the, the sad clown or some shit. Yeah. Well, it's a character. I mean, really at the end of the day, like I know it's you personally, but um, it, you're, that side of that is a character and they want you to be on all the time and that can be exhausting. Like you guys like, just said. I assume, uh, like worst beer blog, um, when he posts something positive and he posts something about like trying to help out, uh, some breweries who had misfortunes fall upon them and people are like, this isn't the content that I came for. Uh, like, I assume that he, like he, he gets tired of doing that that bullshit too and is trying to do something nice and people jump down his throat for uh trying to be positive uh, and it's like 
at the end of the day, like he's he's a human being too, and he he actually seems to be a pretty trying to be a pretty positive guy. When I've heard him on like the Full Pint podcast, and I've had like some some conversations on Twitter with him before, like he he seems like a pretty stand up dude uh, who just got into doing this one particular thing, and that's what he is kind of now known for. Do you guys have any coping mechanisms that um, maybe you utilize on a daily basis that could potentially help somebody else? Uh, comedy. Like, I, I feel like if I can listen to, like, some of my favorite comedians um, and laugh, it it tends to make me feel better. Music doesn't usually help me because music can sometimes make me feel worse. Um, and really, like, the thing that I... I have gotten better with is uh, people, people that I love and I care about. Um, I used to hold in my feelings and like my depression and things uh, to myself and didn't want to talk uh, about it to anyone. But I've I've become better about that and realize that there are some really amazing people in my life that I feel like if I have something terrible going on, I can talk to them and it, it does make me feel better. Like my, my fiance being like the, the number one person because I get to see her all the time and I feel better when I can open up and talk to her. Um, but I mean, people like you guys as well. And my, my friend, Kevin, uh, like it's, though, those are really the best coping mechanisms. And I know that can be tough for people, um, is just simply talking to someone because um, of things that Joel said earlier. Uh, but I do think that that's probably my best. My problem with coping mechanisms is that I'm fully aware of them and occasionally utilize them, but I'm just not consistent. Um, I have a very hard time with scheduling and structure and repetition so some things fall by the wayside. Two years ago, I was really kicking ass with like active lifestyle, good diet choices. I lost a lot of weight. And just recently, my wife told me that, you know, she thought I was never happier than when I was doing all that. And I don't know how she really interpreted that because inside, I don't think I was. I know I felt better mentally in some ways, but like for me to go to a gym and exercise, like I have to go to a very dark place in my mind to really push through it and and get going. It's just... I use those terrible things, you know, memories, somebody talks shit to me, whatever it was, just, just drumming up stuff from 20 years ago if I have to. And that helps get me going. You know, I, I sort of feed off that, but it's, it's not good overall. Like I, I wish I had better ways of, of getting that going. Um, but I, but I know for sure that diet, you know, like I know that what I put into my body also feeds my mind. I will absolutely feel like garbage mentally if I'm eating something heavy in carbs or a lot of sugar. I I, I know now after the roller coaster of dieting and weight loss and weight gain that 100% diet is is a huge factor. I'm not saying it's the only thing. Everyone has their own stuff and, and a lot of times it is chemical imbalance or genetic. For a very long time, I thought it was genetic for me because my mother dealt with uh, bipolar disorder and manic depression uh, throughout different stages of her life. And I think I sort of used that as a crutch to not 
do the work I needed to do to get myself better mentally. I just thought it was in my blood and there's nothing I can do with it. But after, I mean, just like me, I know this sounds corny, but like just meeting you guys and all the beer people and getting into the industry, like that really changed me. I got a lot more social, went to a lot more things because before I got into any of this, I was very much a hermit. Like I just stayed at home. I really didn't do anything with anybody. And you know, getting out, meeting people, being around positive people I didn't even know existed, that, that was huge for me. And then, you know, obviously trying to improve diet and, and being more active definitely helped. And and it's it's the people around you. It's a lot of things. Um, and most recently, I the, the most consistent thing I've done as far as coping mechanism is uh, back in September, I joined Talkspace, which is like an online therapy thing. You know, you can have basically daily sessions there's different tiers like you could just sort of do typing chat you can pay more to do video sessions and stuff like that but i had been in and out of therapy over you know different years for not very long it was one of those things i wasn't consistent with didn't stick with i sort of self-sabotaged myself and just bailed out at certain points but one day in september i'm just sitting at my desk i didn't have a lot going on that day and i just started going into my own mind and thinking about you know, horrible things that happened long time ago, like things that should not affect me now whatsoever. But, you know, when you go through certain stuff, it, sometimes it can rewire your brain or, or your thought processes. And, and I just, I went down this fucking rabbit hole and I felt horrible. And like, I did nothing happened. Nothing triggered it. I was just sitting there and just sunk into a deep fucking hole. And I thought to myself, like, why is this happening? I've got to do something about this. There's a lot of shit at stake. Like, I can't take this home. I can't let it affect my family. I can't let it affect my work. I've got to fix this. And um, fortunately, my wife has, like, really good health insurance. I know not everybody does, and that's what makes it harder to, to address some of these things. Um, but, you know, I, I joined Talkspace, and it's been really good. I mean, it's, it's usually like – like, when I was first in therapy in person – it was like once every two weeks and I would go nuts because like let's say I see someone on a Saturday and then something ha horrible happens the following Tuesday. I got to wait almost two weeks to talk about it again and by then I might be over it but I had no coping mechanism during that time. So fortunately, you know, getting like, you know, five days a week to just sort of go back and forth, get some good advice and, and learn some coping techniques or mindfulness things. I mean, that, that, that stuff really helps. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, I use a uh, support group basically, um, and 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 it's not anything more than just a handful of peers and uh, industry, uh, and this is professionally, I should say, um, peers and people that I highly respect in this industry. That if I do run into an issue or I do find myself sort of starting to bubble over, um, you know, giving somebody a shout and saying, "Hey, let's do breakfast. Let's talk about this stuff. Let's." I'm sure you're dealing with something similar. Let's get it out there, get it out into the open, work with each other, support each other. Um, I, that said, my support, my little group is pretty tiny, um, but they're great. They're there to help me. They're there to direct me in different ways, even when we're not talking specifics and we're keeping things very general. Um, you know, out, outside of that, uh, music helps me personally. Uh, the gym has always been my release I, it, to the extent where it just drives me. Um, I like just being able to push it all out uh, physically. Um, outside of that, honestly, the, when, when the three of us got together, this was an out for me. This is, this is something for me 
to come in and talk about industry situations with two other people I highly respect in front of a hot mic that we're posting online. And the feedback that we've received off of this is just as much of a coping mechanism for me mentally than anything else. I agree with that, the, the, especially the part you said about us getting together. Uh, I mean, it's it goes along with what I was saying is, is talking to the people who I love and care about and respect. And it just it helps. I know that it can be the tough one of the toughest things to do is just like admit to someone, especially someone that you love is I have I have a problem. Can I talk to you about my problem? And because you maybe fear that they'll say no or they don't have time or uh, they just don't have the answer or something like that when that might not necessarily be what you need. You don't need an answer. It's just sometimes the fact that you express that issue verbally to another human being and they just listen to you, that could do so much help that like the problem isn't solved, but holy shit, do I feel like that 10 ton, uh, gorilla is no longer sitting on my chest. Anyone else want to add in anything, uh, right now? I mean, we, we could certainly talk about this for quite a while, but, um, anyone want to take it in a different direction or what? Well, I think, you know, it's important to say that, you know, for everybody listening, I'm happy to listen to anyone who may want to, you know, talk about whatever they have going on to me. Like it just, I don't have all the answers. I, I, sometimes I feel like I don't have any, but I think just talking to someone else helps. And, and I'm here for anybody that wants to talk. Cause I know how hard it is to not have that. Um, and like I said before, you know, it's, it's, it's good to let people know they're not alone. Um, I think, uh, one thing I really didn't mention is, uh, someone <laughs> recommended to me on Twitter this, uh, you know, nootropics are a thing now. It's like, uh, kind of brain drugs, if you will. I, I don't really know how to describe it, but, you know, a lot of people take things that I wouldn't necessarily call, uh, antidepressants or anything like that. But there's a lot of like over the counter stuff you can find at GNC that helps, you know, focus or, relieve anxiety. Uh, I started taking L-theanine, uh, for a while. Uh, our friend of me up in, uh, Tampa, is it? Um, recommended that to me, uh, for anxiety because a couple of years ago when I was, you know, at my last brewery running the brew house and, and managing a team, it, things got very stressful and I was getting a lot of anxiety and very irritable and, uh, L-theanine, it, it's not a downer or a sedative at any, of any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it's just like you take a couple and you're just right back to zero. It, it's really amazing. Um, you don't even notice it take effect, but it does. Um, and, and look, I'm not, you know, we obviously have to have whatever disclaimer about, you know, drugs and this may work for somebody, like whatever the fucking disclaimer is. Like, I'm not recommending anybody take anything and I'm not a doctor. I can't, you know, prescribe shit and all that, but, um, I also started taking something recently called Fenibut, which someone recommended. Um, it's insane. It like, you know how some people will call alcohol liquid courage. This is kind of the same, except it's more of an upper to me. Uh, like there's more focus. It, it, it's really weird because it takes like five to seven hours to kick in, but 
man, like for a very brief window at time, it makes me exactly who I wish I could be 24 seven. Like I'm empathetic and I listen and I'm more outgoing and I, I'm happy to talk to people. I'm normally not so comfortable talking to. Um, and it's just something I've been I'm kind of playing with the dosage and stuff. Like I said, I'm not recommending anything. I'm just letting you know what's kind of working for me at the moment. Uh, it's not recommended, unfortunately, to take like every day. Uh, so that's a little tricky. So I kind of have to figure out what days I'll need it and what days I won't. So <clears throat> maybe not so much on the weekend, but more of work days when I know I've, I've got some things ahead of me that I, I need to be up for. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, by no means are any of us licensed therapists or doctors. Um, so obviously we're giving you our individual experiences and things that we can do. If you do need to talk to a professional, though, and you are in the hospitality industry in particular, there's a great uh, group called I Got Your Back, and you can find them at igotyourback.info. Um, you can actually just text HOPE, the word HOPE, H-O-P-E, to 916-668-4226. They're based out of California, and they're there. Um, it is a support group for individuals in the hospitality industry like we are that can relate to maybe what you're going through in particular. Outside of that, um, you know, there's other um, mental health and uh, support groups for any other industry that's out there as well. I just found this one very intriguing because they specify on the hospitality industry in particular. That's great information to pass along, Phil, because that could really help someone out. And uh, we'll put that information in the description of the show as well. So uh, if anyone uh, uh, wasn't able to pick that up, um, you can find that info in the description of the show. Um, anything else anyone wants to add uh, before we wrap up this conversation for now? Because like Joel said, this is not a conversation that really will ever end. Um, hopefully we can keep talking about it like on social media. And like Joel said, in person, if you, you ever have any any questions, concerns, you want to talk to someone who might have an idea of what you're going through and how you feel. Um, people like us, we're available. We, we can try our best to at least listen to you. Um, like I was saying that just alone helps a lot of the times is have someone there to just listen to you. Yeah, we know this is not going to be covered in one episode or, or 10 episodes even, but, uh, you know, get back to us, give us some feedback, let us know what you thought and what you might want us to address on a future episode. All right. Uh, well, I think that about wraps us up here. I think we can go into last calls now for uh, us to be able to have that time to voice off on a particular thing and... Uh, See what's bothering us. Phil, why don't you take it away? Well, seeing that this is the last episode of 2019, I uh, my last call is basically just focused on uh, year in review. For me, it's pretty amazing. Um, I accomplished a lot personally, professionally. Um, I'm honored to be back on this podcast with you guys, having fun every every week now instead of every other week like we originally decided we were going to do it. Uh, 2019 was great, and I'm really looking forward to 2020. 
Um, you know, a thank you to everyone out there that actually listens, writes us, uh, comments back, uh, tells your friends about us. Uh, I truly appreciate it. I know these two guys appreciate it as well. And um, really looking forward to what uh, the new year has to bring. Uh, that's kind of funny because I was going to say something very similar to that. Um, yeah, I'm happy to be doing this show again. Um, I know it's something that like we've all kind of talked to one another about. Like, it would be fun to do that again, but who knows when we actually have time. And somehow we've managed to make it happen. Um, so uh, I, I think that it's really cool that we have been able to put that together in 2019 and look forward to uh, more in 2020. Joel? I just wanted to say that, uh, and it ties into our topic today, but uh, I just got back from an amazing trip in Chicago. Uh, and to kind of give a quick little bit of my origin story, if you will, um, I am actually from Chicago. I lived there till I was about 12 and a half. And uh, seemingly overnight in a very short period of time. My family split up. My dad moved us to Florida. And within less than a year and a half, I had attended four different schools. And, uh, you know, when you're that age, that shit really fucks with you. And I don't know if I've ever really recovered from that. And that's a big reason of why I am the way I am, for better or worse. And uh, every single time I went to Chicago, I always had a very hard time like leaving because it was reminiscent of when I had to leave the first time and I didn't want to go back to Florida. I, I, I just kind of wanted to stay where I thought my home was. And uh, this time was a little bit different. I was at the gate of O'Hare Airport waiting to board my flight back to Florida and I had this sort of revelation like, wow, I'm not sad this time. Like I, I'm actually feeling pretty good and I actually had some tears of joy um I always had this weird relationship going back there because after a while and being gone for so long I felt like I wasn't home anymore it felt like a strange town to me I felt like a stranger in my own hometown and that nothing fit anymore and I didn't know what to do with that and uh, I would say that, uh, I, I, I would basically just want to say thank you to Pete Anderson at Metropolitan Brewing, Kim Stewart, her boyfriend, Marty at Revolution Brewing, John Laffler at Off Color. All of you guys really made me feel at home in a place that I didn't feel like was home anymore. And that was insanely, uh, huge to me. And I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, it, it completely changed the way I view where I came from and I feel like I have a better relationship with my hometown and I look forward to going back in, in and having more positive experiences there and not having all the shitty baggage attached to it. I, I can't tell you how much that means the world to me. So thank all of you guys and, and thank you for making such amazing beers as well. That's really awesome, Joel. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, all right. Well, uh, that about does it here for us on this episode. Um, if you want to talk about any of the things that we talked about in the mental health section or just beer in general, uh, reach out to us on social media at United We Drink on Twitter, at United We Drink Pod on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. 
Um, you can subscribe to this show in uh, one of many different wonderful fashions. We're on practically all of the streaming services and podcast apps that are available there. You can also listen to us on our website, unitedwedrink.com. Uh, buy a shirt, sticker, button at unitedwedrink.com slash store. Um, we will be back next week for our first episode of the new year. It will be a mini episode. And then after that, in two weeks, we will be back with our next main episode where we're going to talk about industry projections. Uh, so in the meantime, uh, have a safe and happy new year. Enjoy yourselves out there. See you then. Pop some bottles. Cheers. Prosperity. Prosperity. You're making making my editing on Christmas week uh, so wonderful.